When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Friday, September 16th. The season is coming to a close very soon. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melkier. We were just realizing before we started recording that this is the penultimate waiver episode of the season. We've got this week, we've got next week, and then that's it. Because after Friday, September 30th, there's only one series in the last week of the regular season. So there will be no waiver show on the last Friday in September. We'll be around on Twitter and whatnot to help with any particular questions that might come up, as we always are, but uh, no actual waiver episode. So it's funny, we uh, we felt like the season went kind of fast this year, and it seems like the, the hack for us is not moving across the country in the middle of the season. That is <laughs> a way to make baseball season feel normal. Yeah, we tried that last year. That was the experiment, right? We both moved cross country in opposite directions and uh, yeah, made the season a little longer, maybe a little more challenging. And this end of season kind of snuck up on us both. So uh, go, we'll go all out for these last two. I think I recorded about a month's worth of this show and other podcasts sitting in a camping chair with a four-foot Costco folding table for a desk while furniture arrived from various places. Glad this year uh, wasn't at all like that. But an interesting group of players to discuss on the waiver wire this week. It's not the loaded group of uh, prospect call-ups and the exciting players that uh, we've been chasing for the last few weeks, so fortunately, if you've spent most of your fab, you're kind of in the same position as a lot of other people in your leagues. You're just managing gaps in your lineup, trying to work around injuries or late-season slumps and just finding little upgrades where you can. I did think it was worth bringing up Josh Young again. We're now a week into his big league career. I think he's showing that he's about as good as advertised to this point. If he is still available and you're playing in a shadow league, I actually think Josh Young is relevant for 10-team mixed leagues down the stretch. He's an everyday guy for this Rangers team. He has the kind of game-changing power that gives him a chance to make an immediate impact. And uh, any place where he wasn't picked up last weekend, I think you're at least considering it here once Fab runs again on Sunday. Yeah, for me, the key word there is consider. Um, I Maybe we'll stop a little bit short of saying must-add only because so far Young has struck out a lot. And when you're talking about somebody who's really still only been up for a few games, you have to go with just what, with little morsels of data that you actually have. But a lot is at stake in these last couple of weeks. So if batting average is something that you're being very protective of, I would stop a little short of saying that Young is must-add, but you're absolutely right to uh, point out the power, the run-producing uh, potential, uh, just general compiling uh, uh, opportunities for, for young. So um, I think almost everybody could use him if he's available. Yeah, it just depends on what you have at third base and on the corners in some of those leagues. Maybe you don't need him, so someone else ends up picking him up. But I do think the reach is going to be a significant reach 
for Young in these final weeks of the season, even with that K rate being a little high through his first seven big league games. We did get one prospect promotion. Mark Vientos is up for the Mets. How do you see him fitting in to the playing time mix? Is there going to be enough there for Vientos to make an impact for us in mixed leagues down the stretch? I, I don't see it only because he, so far he's really being used as a short side platoon bat. So I just don't think there are going to be that many opportunities. And again, the calculus is a little bit different at this point when you're looking about teams having you know basically five series left in their season. So the Mets are only going to be facing so many lefties from here on out. If you're in a daily lineup league, I think there's obviously some appeal there for Vientos. It's still kind of deeper league appeal, but... Uh, at least he can't really be written off, but in leagues with weekly lineup changes, I I think NL only is almost a stretch. Yeah, I think if you're in a league, a keeper league, where you can add players late in the year, perhaps Vientos is out there on the wire, keep him at a very low price for next year. There's a good chance he's got a chance to be an everyday guy uh, a year from now because the numbers at AAA this year were great. 280, 358, 519 line. K rate was a little high at 28.6% for that level. So you have to keep an eye on that as he continues to adjust to big league pitching. But it's a 129 WRC plus, you know, 24 homers in 101 games. And that's what you're looking for. It, it wasn't power compiled in some of the most hitter friendly AAA environments that we worry about for a lot of guys that play around the West Coast. So I think Mark Vientos took a big step in the right direction by really playing well at AAA throughout this season, even if this late-season call-up does keep him more on the small side of a platoon for this contending Mets club. Some other bats to consider. I did not think we'd bring up Elvis Andrews in September as someone that could be a difference-maker, Al, but there's a few things that have really caught my eye with him recently, and it could actually make him relevant in some 12-team leagues. He is playing every day. He has let off every single game for the White Sox going back to August 31st. And I didn't realize just how good the power-speed combo was relative to other recent seasons from Andrews. He's got 14 homers and 10 steals this season. It's a 253-312-410 line. Not the kind of guy that you'd pick up in an 8-team or a 10-team league. But this is his highest slugging percentage since 2017. So for a guy that just turned 34... This is a pretty nice late season turnaround and actually a pretty decent pickup by the White Sox just to have a guy like this giving them a bit of a boost and, and now in a more prominent role for them. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah great move by them and a great move by anybody who picked up Andrews in the last few weeks because you've gotten the benefit of, of a nice hot streak uh, from him while, as you said, playing every day, leading off every day. And something uh, really kind of stood out to me DVR when I was looking up Andrews because I, I wrote about him in this week's column as well. And I sort of struggled with whether or not to recommend him for 12 teamers or not. I think you could certainly make that argument. I think for most people's needs, probably 14, 15 team might be a better fit. But um, I, I think that that year plus in Oakland, almost two years in Oakland, really kind of reshaped the way, and I, I think unfairly reshaped the way we thought about Andrews's decline because he had hit 11 home runs with the A's in, again, a little bit more than a year and a half. Two of those were at Oakland Coliseum. So the power wasn't that bad away from home. And now that he's going to, or is in rather, a, you know, a much better park for power, a much better park for offense just in general. Uh, now he's not being boosted by you know crazy home splits. The splits are pretty even. But I think just the mere fact of Elvis Andrews not playing half of his games in Oakland 
is part of what's helping them here. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, it's such a pitcher-friendly environment, the wet basement, as I've come to call it, because the <laughs> ball just doesn't fly there. Um, it certainly makes sense to look back a little further at his numbers. There was always a little bit of power, at least in, in the kind of middle and later part of his time with the Rangers, to go with what often was 20 steel speed. Now, I don't think anyone expect that to continue as he moved further into his 30s, but just a better player probably than people give him credit for. Uh, we'll see if he finds another club this offseason. I think the long contract he signed with the Rangers actually finally runs out at the end of 2022. But here we are thinking about Elvis Andrews as a possible middle infield upgrade, possibly for uh, some fantasy championships uh, down the stretch. Ezekiel Tovar might get a call up by the Rockies. Like This is pretty surprising. We talked about him on our prospect pod probably back in May as someone that was really standing out early on this season. I think you put this question on the rundown, so I'm just going to throw it right at you. <laughs> is there actually enough time for him to make an impact, I mean, given that the call-up hasn't happened at the time of this recording, right? We're we're talking about maybe two weeks worth of playing time if the Rockies let him just play every single day, and it seems like a lot of ifs to, uh, to possibly speculate on him right now. Yeah, and I, I agree. And yeah, so it was kind of a, a leading question that I put in there, so I don't mind having it thrown back at me. Uh, but it's not only just that there's now uh, a report, and this is from Thomas Harding of, of MLB.com, uh, where he tweeted out on Thursday that the hope the hope is, and sort of a little passive wording there, so I assume that's the organization's hope, is that Tovar will finish the season with the big league club. But he was just activated and just promoted to AAA Albuquerque. So to me, it does seem a little bit unrealistic to even think he'll play two weeks. I mean, you figure they're going to give him at least a full week at AAA. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that just to me seems like a more realistic expectation. And maybe even one week would be um, pushing it a little bit. Maybe he only gets a handful of games at the very end of the season with the Rockies. But to me, a best, best case scenario is maybe a week and a half or a little bit more up with the Rockies. And the last three series are all away from Coors Field. And two of those series are uh, at the Dodgers. So pretty bad timing for Tovar. I think that he could show some uh, power and, of course, some speed, uh, not just to Coors Field. But I think that when you look at the whole picture in terms of how little time he's likely to be up and the fact that probably all the time that he's up is going to be away from Coors Field, that... Tofar is really just a deep league option at best. Yeah, I think he's another player, though, that if you're in a keeper or a dynasty league where a player has to reach the big leagues to become eligible to get picked up in season, if he does get called up, that is a huge potential late season addition for future years. If they have some ideas on, on getting him big league experience this year, that tells me they see him as a 2023 opening day roster candidate. And with that power and speed combo, I'm very interested in him as a player. I mean, he's 53% better than league average at double A this year. And that's just not a random player doing that. That was a guy who just turned 21 in August. So he was very young for the level, doing everything really well offensively. 13 homers in 66 games as well. So we're talking about some impact power, 17 for 20 as a base dealer at double A this year as well. So there's a lot of ways this could go right, even if that opportunity is against good Dodgers pitching on the road and not necessarily the way that you'd want to uh, you know, break him in if you were trying to use him right away in redraft leagues. 
Yeah, uh, the timing probably couldn't be worse, but uh, that's a great point that you raise uh, because there are a number of leagues like that where uh, you have to wait for the player to get called up. And if you do add Tovar, uh, he definitely would be in consideration as a keeper for next year. Yeah, one of the players in the minor leagues whose stock has soared the most over the course of, of 2022. I mean, I think people had him as a you know, fringy top 200 prospect, maybe coming into the year, tooled up guy that they thought could be good someday. But this was a lot of things all going right with the move up in competition for Ezekiel Tovar. Let's talk about some outfielders. Bubba Thompson, a Nando favorite, rostered in fewer than 30% of CBS leagues and even uh, fewer leagues on ESPN's platform. The speed was there in the minors. I was worried that Thompson wouldn't hit enough to actually use his speed at the big league level, but we're seeing that that's kind of wrong. He's getting on base enough. 331 OBP through 37 games this season. He's 15 for 17 as a base stealer. So a stolen base specialist for now, but a guy that has shown some power in the upper levels of the minor leagues as well. Yeah, now I'm totally shocked at what Bubba Thompson's been able to do in his initial exposure to major league pitching. I had the same same concerns that you had. He is striking out a lot, a little bit over 30%, but because of all the speed that he has, uh, he is bad-bipping his way to uh, a 278 uh, average that... Um, might not be totally sustainable, but also maybe won't regress as much as you think over the last couple of weeks. And almost keeping up the ridiculous stolen base pace that he had in AAA earlier this year. So yeah, you and I were both wrong on this. But the, the good news is that, as you mentioned, he's widely available still. So if you made the same mistake that we made, you still have time to correct it, except in really deep leagues. As far as category juice goes, though, with stolen bases, it would be difficult to find a widely available player that could help you out as much in stolen bases as Buzz Bubba Thompson might help you out uh, in stolen bases down the stretch. Uh, shout out to Trevor watching us on the live stream. It's good to be back on the stream after a week break for that. Of course, we had the podcast last week, and Hazel is having a very normal week. So we are uh, excited that this weekend should be a little more fun than last weekend in the Van Riper household. Uh, some other outfielders to look at. Oscar Gonzalez in Cleveland playing really well recently, Al. I think we talked about a lot of rookie hitters on one of our recent episodes, and Gonzalez and Stephen Kwan were omitted for no particular reason. It just sort of worked out that way. They didn't quite make the rundown. Uh, what do you like about Gonzalez you know, short term? What's, what's he doing right now? Let's put him on the radar. And, and what kind of player do you think he's going to be in the long run? Well, in the short term, the thing that I probably like the best about Gonzalez is that he hits right in the middle of the Guardians lineup, usually fourth or fifth, plays every single day. So right there, um, that that adds a lot of value. Uh, but it's you know not just uh, kind of uh, an empty profile besides that. And obviously, you don't get to the middle of the lineup without being able to do something offensively. Not a ton of power, but just enough power that with his bat ball profile, where he does pull the ball a lot, that you can see power like you've seen lately with four home runs over his last 40 at-bats. Uh, and then with that comes 11 RBIs and seven runs. So the combination of a, a good profile for producing power in a situation where that can turn into some some run production, uh, it, it's it's a good package all around. Yeah, I think the thing that's probably kept people away from Oscar Gonzalez is the low walk rates that we've seen really throughout his time, not only in the big leagues this season, but from nearly all of his minor league career. That's just something he has not done particularly well. But we usually see 
good strikeout rates at most stops. The first time he went to AAA, 24.9% was the K rate a year ago. That was over 72 games. This year, back at that level, 14.3%. So more exposure to level, a pretty significant improvement. Uh, The walk rate, under 4% in each of the last two seasons against AAA pitching. So I think it could be one of those profiles that works better in a 5x5 Roto League that still uses average as opposed to OBP. There might be a little bit of a better hitter in fantasy than in real life. But so long as he doesn't have someone pushing him for playing time, and right now he's got a spot to call his own pretty much, this could actually work out okay uh, given the need for some thump in that Cleveland lineup. So I think that's a good call uh, to bring him up as someone that might be able to help in the outfield. Uh, Here's a familiar name from late seasons past. Aristides Aquino going on one of his recent home run binges. Is it different this time? Is there anything you're seeing in the profile that makes you think, He's perhaps figured it out. Yeah, there is something different, and it's the thing that we wanted to see change, which is fewer strikeouts. Uh, So since August 31st, he's 17 for 48. So that's a a 354 average uh, with five homers in that time. So just a little more than two weeks with five homers. So definitely uh, power coming with that. But a 21.2% strikeout rate, which is way, way down from what we saw. It's almost half of what we saw this season prior to uh, August 31st and well down even from, from last year or back in 2019 when Aquino had that ridiculous August uh, that to put him kind of put him on the map in the first place and that he had a big drop off in September. Uh, although I was kind of surprised going back and looking at that DVR that I just, my recollection was he did absolutely nothing that September. I think he still hit like five home runs or, or maybe even more, uh, but he just was striking out a lot. So that's been a problem for Aquino pretty much ever since August of, of 2019. And it's just a couple of weeks. So I'm not saying that the, the next two weeks are going to be the same, but it's it's a really good sign. I think he's still probably more of a 15-team league consideration where you know we're looking at five outfielders in the starting lineup. I think if we're in leagues that deep, that would be where I'm interested if I'm looking for some cheap power. Even with that recent improvement, the K rate for the season still above 35%. So I'm a little nervous about him as a longer-term player, but you don't have to worry about the long-term. You're talking about two and a half, three weeks here where you just need him to keep playing and keep getting to that power. That's something he often does when he's getting those opportunities for the Reds. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Here's a new name, one we have not discussed on this pod. Alex Call is getting a lot of playing time right now in the Nationals outfield. Six consecutive starts and actually pretty good numbers at AAA. This is a guy that can get on base at a pretty good clip if what we saw in the upper levels of the minor leagues are any indication. If you're looking at Call compared to someone like Aquino, we've seen in the big leagues for a little while, compared to Oscar Gonzalez, you know, how does he stack up to some of these other outfielders that we're thinking about? I think Really favorable, really favorably, because I think that uh, the power potential is kind of on a par with Gonzalez, but he walks a lot. So that's a big upgrade right there. Uh, in the minors, he's even struck out at a slightly lower rate. Uh, I think the situation for call is not as favorable as Gonzalez hits a little lower in the order. Um, 
for a team offensively, that's probably on the whole, not that much better or worse uh, than Cleveland. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, definitely been overlooked, but now that, that he's getting some pretty consistent playing time, I think he's, he's pretty much on a par with some of these other outfielders that we're talking about. Yeah, he controls the strike zone really well. We've seen good walk rates, good strikeout rates throughout his time as an older player, mostly at AAA the last couple of seasons. I think the the question here is how much power are we really going to get? The underlying power numbers are not particularly strong, but we're, we're only talking about 75 plate appearances in the big league so far this year for call, a 1.9% barrel rate, 30.8% hard hit rate. So it's not a case where he's hitting the ball hard frequently and hitting on the ground. He's just not hitting the ball hard consistently enough. I think if you're just looking for playing time in in an NL-only league, that's probably the sweet spot for a player like Alex Call. Might not hurt you in batting average, might actually help you a little bit in some of those counting categories with runs and RBIs if he continues to play on a regular basis. Uh, Mickey Moniak is getting some run right now for the Angels and playing at the expense of Joe Adele a bit in recent days, Al. Moniak was in the leadoff spot for each of his last three starts entering the weekend. Is there anything here that has changed with the former number one overall pick? I think just mostly the playing time and the fact that he is leading off. So just like we talked about with Gonzalez, where just one's position in the the, the batting order can uh, certainly add or subtract a fantasy value. I don't like the, the underlying indicators nearly as much for Moniak as I do for Gonzalez or even Alex Call. Uh, so... You know, just the fact that he's getting an opportunity and, uh, you know, I think there's still some upside here, but striking out an awful lot. So that that's something that definitely cools my interest uh, in, in Moniac uh, a bit as we go into this weekend's fab. Yeah, it's uh, it's surprising they're playing him over Adele for, for me. I, I'm, I'm convinced that they're better off seeing what Adele does with that playing time. Now I'm kind of hoping for a Joe Adele trade this offseason, see what he could do in a new organization with some new voices, new hitting coaches, new everything might be good for him. A question from Trevor on the live stream. How do you view Jake McCarthy this week in an auto new style format? The Diamondbacks have eight games this week, but five are at the Dodgers. Is Jock Peterson facing six righties and visiting Coors a better bet than McCarthy? Yeah, I would take, uh, I would take Peterson with the, the two fewer games over McCarthy, but uh, there's certainly a lot of outfielders that uh, out new or any other format that uh, that I, I would certainly like that eight game schedule. But yeah, Peterson with six righties is is tough to beat. Yeah, I might try to find someone else to bench and play them both. Jake McCarthy's turned into an everyday player in recent weeks. He started every game going back to September 4th, all but one going back to August 27th. And now he's settling in as the number three hitter in the Diamondbacks lineup. He's hit third in eight consecutive games. So prominent spot, plenty of playing time, doing good things with it and has ways of helping in every category. But I think the key is Auto New doesn't play quite like Roto. So the stolen bases in particular might not be as valuable in that scoring system. That might also take some things away. I mean, the situation for Peterson with six righties should play, should start against all of them. And that trip to Coors, I get it. That's that's very appealing. So we're split, but I don't think you're really wrong by process to take fewer games in this particular instance. Um, thanks a lot for that question, Trevor. A couple more bats to get to here. As we move along, one more outfielder in Arizona, actually, Stone Garrett. I think this is just a case of a guy that's going to continue playing on the small side of a platoon. You look at the usage recently, uptick in playing time going back to Sunday. The Diamondbacks have faced three left-handed starters in their last five games. 
I think this is all that really is. I don't think this is a guy getting an extra opportunity. And we've talked about how crowded things are becoming in that Diamondbacks outfield. There isn't playing time up for grabs right now for Garrett to take on a larger role unless somebody else out of that core group begins to play less. Yeah, no, I, I read it exactly the same way. Uh, he will face some lefties this coming week, but unfortunately they're on the Dodgers rotation and they're all really good. So uh, it, it's not a week I would be be targeting Stone Garrett. And I, I think there was a, a brief time there where he had some everyday run, but that seems to have passed. And it looks like the Diamondbacks have seen what they wanted to see from him against, uh, against right-handed starters. So uh, yeah, I, I think at this point, Garrett is really just uh, belonging in mono leagues. 80-grade name, but 40-grade playing time right now, unfortunately, though, for Stone Garrett. So just tread a little carefully, even though that playing time has been there more recently. I'm going to say Cal Raleigh's name again on this podcast just because I feel like in single-catcher leagues, it's imperative that he's rostered at this point. The power has been there pretty consistently all season. The offensive production across the board is better, and Branny agrees Cal Raleigh is a great pickup. I think he's a top-10 catcher going into next season, Al. I do too. And I've been thinking of him as a top 10 catcher now. I mean, not year to date because of the the slow start, especially with the, the batting average. But uh, over the last few months, I think he, I haven't looked at it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was top 10 or top 12. Definitely we'll look at him that way going into next year. And if you want to look at the very, very short term, which is relevant here because I continue to be surprised at how available Raleigh is. Uh, the uh, the Mariners start off finishing up a, a weekend series against the Angels. They've got a Monday uh, series finale, three games in Oakland, three games in Kansas City. Lots of uh, pretty favorable uh, matchups for uh, for the whole Mariners lineup there. And Raleigh is one of the more available impact players in that lineup. Yeah, get up there. Get to that 25 home run marks. Got 23 on the season so far. How about this for underlying improvement too? O-swing percentage last year for Cal Raleigh as a rookie. very high. This year down at 36.5%. Still on the higher side, but much, much better. And a 14.8% barrel rate. He's more than doubled his barrel rate from a season ago. So I see him as a top 10 catcher. I think I got him at number 9 on my initial 2023 rankings. Yeah, I've already started. I'm... I'm terrible. Most people start, you know, putting up Christmas decorations a little early or they put the pumpkins out for Halloween right after the 4th of July. I'm more just starting to work on next season before the current one ends. That's just that's that's my particular illness and I will readily admit it. Um, other catchers to think about if you're looking for help at that position, Eric Haas, who we've talked about a lot in recent weeks, still only 25% rostered on CBS. At least should be rostered in two catcher leagues at this stage. And then Jan Gomes picking up some extra playing time. Well, Wilson Contreras is on the IL for the Cubs. Jan Gomes is capable. Uh, older player, but capable when he gets the opportunities. Let's move on to some pitching. We begin with a few guys who are not widely available, but do present uh, interesting decisions to be made where they are available. What are you doing with Jack Flaherty? He's rostered in more than 80% of CBS leagues right now. I think a lot of people lost the faith after that last outing. His next turn coming out of the weekend is going to be on the road against the Padres. So if you're playing in a shallow league where Jack Flaherty has been dropped, are you comfortable picking him up and playing him against a team that has playoff aspirations? Well, he does have one start uh, between now and then, uh, I believe against the Reds. So that for me might might be decisive because he had a, a pretty good start 
against the Nationals, and then yeah, not a very good start against the Pirates, and you know, boy, that matchup really does make you uh, think twice about putting Flaherty out there against uh, a really good team. So, uh, as of right now, if I had to, if I had to make a lineup decision right now uh, for for Monday morning, uh, Flaherty would be benched for me in those kinds of shallow leagues that you're referring to, but. Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, that that is the start against the Reds on Friday. So I'm I'm hopeful that Flaherty will uh, make a good case for himself in that start. Another tricky name to decide on is John Gray. I think the good news here is that he'll pitch again this weekend. Also, he'll have a chance to stretch out a bit more. Gray threw 45 pitches, went three and two thirds, struck out five against the Marlins in his return from the IL back on September 12th. So if you kind of tack on 10 to 15 more pitches in this start this weekend where you might not be able to get him yet, tack on another 15 on top of that for the turn that we're looking ahead to this upcoming week, that might be enough for him to go five innings again. So what's your interest level in John Gray in the leagues where he was dropped during his stint on the IL? Pretty high, pretty high, because I really liked what Gray had been doing this season. Uh, if there's any hesitation on my part, and I don't even think it's so much the innings, because like you're saying, he has another opportunity to, to ratchet those up uh, over the weekend. But then his start next week uh, would line up that he would face the Guardians. And overall, they're not a great offense, but they just don't strike out. So if it's really a kind of a categorical thing uh, or a situational decision that if you really need strikeouts, then John Gray is probably not the pitcher for you this week. but uh, I would probably want to pick him up just about anywhere, um, if nothing else, just to uh, take him for the next turn. Yeah, more playable than many of the uh, starting pitchers you're going to be thinking about on the wire this weekend in leagues where he's available. So I'm definitely interested in John Gray. I think that workload is going to be just where it needs to be to put him into my lineups in a lot of circumstances. Bailey Ober also back after a very long stint on the IL with a groin injury. I think part of that was the initial suggestions of when he was going to be back and the reporting around that was a little bit unclear. So when he went on the IL in June, there were plenty of leagues where I held on to him for several weeks thinking, sure, he'll start his rehab assignment soon. He'll be back. Well, now he's finally back here in the second half of September. He's actually going to make a start on Friday night. So we'll get a look at him at the big league level before having to make a decision. But he went four and two-thirds on Sunday in his final rehab start. That was at AAA, so you're figuring five innings are in play already for this first start back. Uh, What's your interest level in Bailey Ober as a stretch run pickup? Well, it will depend in part on how he does this weekend. Uh, Yeah, I've been tracking that that pushing back of the return date, too, because I've got him in my my 24-team league. So obviously he's going to be going into my starting rotation in that league. Uh, And I I think I I would pick him up in 15-teamers no matter what. So uh, I think just watching him over the weekend is more for my my shallower league interest. All right, let's keep it going with more Baileys. Let's go Bailey <laughs> Falter, who was on the pod at least once in the last couple episodes, I think more than once even. Bailey Falter is pitching well in this later part of the season, and he's on a team that's contending for a playoff spot, so wins are actually there because he's getting pretty good run support. The ratios look pretty good now for the season. A 380 ERA, a 115 whip. Actually, very similar to John Gray, I think, skills-wise, if you're looking for just a a roto comp based on where expectations should be. 
What's your trust level right now in Bailey Falter? Is it just a, a matchup thing that would scare you away, or is he actually someone that you want to have at least down to 12-team leagues? Well, it's it's both a matchup thing and a job security thing because uh, I just would wonder if he would stay in the rotation once uh, Zach Wheeler gets back. Um, but even if he does, then you figure um, he's going to face Atlanta next week. And, um, you know, th- then we're running out of season. So uh, between those two factors, the schedule, really three factors, schedule, a bit of inconsistency, and um, maybe a, a roster crunch. Uh, if, if Falter's still out there uh, in my leagues, I'm probably not not pursuing him this weekend. I think I would treat him as a, a two-start pitcher where I'm using him even knowing the second start might not happen because the first start is going to be a good one, right? He's got, well, maybe not. I'm looking at the schedule. You're right. It's, Tor- it's Toronto in front of that too, if, if depending on how the weekend plays out too. So it's a bad schedule week for Bailey Falter. I guess I'm just I'm buying into the skills and the role uncertainty is a bit of a, a headache for us. I mean, the, the good news for, for people who have Zach Wheeler, he appears to be progressing well to this point. Had a setback in early September. Since then, has been making his way back through rehab as expected. They're just a little bit unclear on his timetable. So I think that's part of where my, my lingering interest with Bailey Falter has been uh, coming from here these last few days. Let's talk about Brian Bayo for a moment. I just keep waiting for the Brian Bayo schedule to get better at Cincinnati awesome at the Yankees not as awesome but probably a case where if your ratios are not in great shape you can take the chance here because the skills are actually good enough the K's should be there and there's at least a very good chance of getting a win in the first of those two starts given the current state of the Reds yeah although they've been hitting better than I certainly expected I yeah I still wouldn't count that as a a super tough matchup it's a you know not a total cakewalk in a in a tough environment, but Bayo's been getting a lot of ground balls. Uh, I and I, I probably shouldn't be going off on memory as much as I do DVR, but over his last five starts, he's got a 2.84 ERA, and I'm almost positive he has not given up a home run in that stretch. Also, a pretty nice uh, strikeout rate over that uh, span as well. 25.2% strikeout rate over his last five starts. So, I. I would kind of tough it out with that Yankee uh, matchup, which, you know, again, a week or two ago, you would have looked forward to that, but the Yankees have woken up (laughs) offensively. That is a scary matchup again. And uh, I I think that Bayo is still up to it. Let's talk about Ryan Nelson for a moment. I can't make this clear enough. I like Ryan Nelson. I think he's a good pitcher. He's only 21% rostered in CBS leagues. Had a couple of great starts to begin his career. Uh, second one, I understand. Like, If you didn't use him against the Dodgers, I'm with you. I like him, and I didn't use him against the Dodgers because I don't use pitchers that are even better than Nelson against the Dodgers. The next start after this weekend is going to be a home start against the Giants. I absolutely want that. I think it's a very streamable start, even if you don't believe in the skills as much as I believe in the skills here. So I just felt like I had to bring him up as a, a guy that still has reasonably high availability at this point in the season. He's got a new teammate. Dre Jamison is up as well. And just like Nelson, his second career start is going to happen against the Dodgers. So we're not particularly excited about that matchup. It's the same situation we had with Nelson a week ago. So the risk-reward here probably determines whether or not you'd actually throw a Hail Mary and put him out there if you're in my ratios are awful position, which I have been in at least one league. 
maybe you can get away with throwing Jamison out there. But he looked really good in his debut as well. And what we discussed with Nelson on this pod over the last week or so with Amarillo and, and Reno being such hitter-friendly environments, that applies to Jamison and the other Diamondbacks pitching prospects as well. It's easy to overlook them a little bit based on results if you don't think enough about the environment they've been pitching in. That's a little bit of a, a lo- lower concern for me with Jamison because he has been a ground ball pitcher. So with Nelson, yeah, it's a little bit of guesswork. Very high uh, home run ratios, double A and triple A does uh, give up a fair number of, of fly balls. So um, that said, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I would start Nelson against the Giants. The Giants have been dreadful offensively for about a month now. So it's, it's a good matchup, and there's enough there skills-wise that I don't worry about the potential home run problem for Nelson. Uh, Jamison, though, you know, I mean, if they were both facing the same opponent this week, I would rather start Jamison than, than Nelson. But the Dodgers are just a little too scary for me to uh, be trusting somebody who just made their debut, even though it was a great debut. Yeah, that pitch mix looked really good. Four-seamer, sinker, slider, changeup, threw one curveball in there, too. So we'll see if we get a little more usage with that over time. But... I really thought Dre Jamison was impressive. Good life on that fastball. Pretty much the same thing I was saying about Ryan Nelson the first time we got a look at him a little over a week ago. Here's a name that we've discussed throughout the season that I think could still be pretty helpful. Tyler Wells, 23% rostered on CBS right now, getting the same two-step this week as Austin Voth. You have the very good start, home against the Tigers, and the very difficult start, home against the Astros. Where do you fall on this one? Is Tyler Wells more likely to help you or hurt you in the upcoming week? I think more likely to help. I really, even though he's not been a a big strikeout pitcher, I really do like the skills that he's shown this year. Um, So I, I, I do worry a little bit about that Astro start. I also worry a little bit about the fact that he's not been quite as effective in the two starts that he's made since coming off the IL. Also still ratcheting up that pitch count. But I, I think that's probably not going to be a concern now that he's going to be making his third and fourth starts uh, since coming off of the IL this week. So I think, yeah, there's enough there between the skill set, the Tigers matchup, that I'm at least considering starting Wells in my 12-teamer this week in a uh, head-to-head playoff matchup. I do wish the starts were flipped. I wish the Houston start was first and the Detroit start was second because if there were any limitations that we're still going to keep him from going five. He's going to be really close to that. At least it would come in the spot where you're less likely to get a win anyway. Can't always get what you want. You have to live with it in this particular instance. I do think the Orioles, as much as they've taken a step forward this year as an organization with their pitching, they have some really tough matchups in these late weeks of the year that have made trusting these pitchers even more challenging. Aside from limited or no track record in the case of some of these guys. Kyle Bradish has been really good in recent weeks. We talked about him a couple episodes ago. He's got Houston at home this week, so he doesn't get the two-step, doesn't get the easy one. And then I think he's at Boston next week. And if you're in a league where you picked him up, that combination could be just enough to bump him off your roster depending on what else you have. So I'm just curious what your trust level is in Bradish and, and how you make a decision like this. He would be uh, on a potential cut list for 12-teamers uh, with that schedule, no no doubt about it. So it's just a question of, I mean, when you ask about process, just looking uh, at who else is on that bubble and what their schedule is and what their track record has been. 
but with Bradish, I think, you know, with a couple of potentially difficult starts uh, and a relatively limited track record with this level of success that he's had, um, he's probably going to come up short with whoever he I'd be comparing him against in a, in a 12 team league. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the tougher things about the stretch run for me in fantasy baseball is cutting a player this time of year that I ordinarily wouldn't cut because of the schedule. If this comes up in May, you just say, ah, I like him enough as a reserve. I think I'm going to use him three out of four weeks after this stretch. Well, there there are no three out of four weeks to use him in after the stretch. So you have to just make that sort of correction. I, I still find that difficult, even though I you know I understand the, the process um, behind it. I think we've talked about the Cubs probably two or three episodes in a row because they've had a handful of pitchers who are widely available and they've had pretty good matchups and it's happening yet again. It's part of life in the NL Central, I suppose. We have Wade Miley with two on the road at the Marlins, at the Pirates. If you're playing the volume game, why not? Adrian Sampson and Drew Smiley at Miami. I'm definitely in on Smiley. I'm lukewarm on Adrian Sampson just from a skills perspective. Hayden Wesneski appears to be in the bullpen for now, so maybe you're just getting bulk innings from him as opposed to an actual starting opportunity. But depending on that usage, you might actually have a better shot at a win or possibly two, depending on when those outings fall. And then Javier Assad, along with Marcus Stroman, get matchups against the Pirates. So are we really putting seasons in the balance on the shoulders of, of Cubs pitching? I think we are, and I, I think we should. Um because uh, they've actually been really good. And I, I wrote this up in the column this week. They, over the last 30 days, they have the fifth lowest uh, ERA. That's the rotation, not the uh, staff as a whole. But the rotation in terms of ERA has been the, the fifth best over the last 30 days. And you look at the collection of pitchers that you talked about uh, with Stroman and, and Miley coming back and being really effective since coming back. Samson's been effective, but the, the peripherals are, are not very inspiring. So even with uh, a potential two start week and, and even, you know, one start just at Miami looking really good. Uh, I maybe 15 teamers uh, for me for Samson, but otherwise I pass. But yes, Miley, Smiley, um, uh, rhyme unintentional there. Uh, <laughs> and Stroman, uh, they they should be starting in a lot of leagues uh, this week. And Assad at Pittsburgh. That, that's a that's a start for 14, 15 team leagues for me, not 12 teams, but it's it's a great schedule with a rotation that has pitched really well lately. Yeah, no one really wants to believe in this group long term. That just creates streaming opportunities on a regular basis so long as that holds up here over the final weeks of the season. But I think you broke it down pretty much the same way I see it as far as my interest in those guys across various leagues. Maybe I just don't learn easily, but I'm still interested in Cody Morris, Al. I'm not scared by five walks in his last outing against the Angels. I did watch it at bat against Taylor Ward that I think something ridiculous was like 13 or 14 pitches, almost an innings worth of pitches and one at bat. And I was sweating it out a little bit because I had Morris going in a few leagues, didn't get deep enough into that game to be eligible for a win. But he really hasn't had command issues coming through the Guardian system. And I'm really more focused on the fact that he's throwing 75 pitches in an outing now, that he could go five-plus in a typical start. So I still think there's a chance Cody Morris makes a handful of very good starts for us and ends up being a bit of a difference maker here in the back half of September and the first week of October. 
I could see giving him a whirl in, in 15 teamers. Uh, he right now looks like he's going to get Texas uh, in Arlington this coming week, which is a, it's a, it's a fair matchup. Uh, it doesn't scare me, but it's also not a, a must start kind of scenario for, for Morris. So uh, I, I guess where I fall on this is that, um, you know, and at this time of year, you're, um, you know, you're either throwing a Hail Mary or you're having to be really careful. So I think that Morris is a great play where you're, you're hoping he comes through with one of those good starts that you're you're kind of forecasting for him. But in leagues where things are really tight and it feels like there's a, a lot at stake, uh, I would not be starting him, probably not even in 15-teamers. Yeah, I, I get it. I understand the hesitation. <laughs> I'm just, I think I'm in a few spots where I can be aggressive because there's no downside. I think if you are protecting ratios, trying to be careful, he doesn't really fit the bill of what you're looking for in those circumstances. But long term, tons of talent there. Uh, you got Marco Gonzalez on the rundown. I, I, don't, I never, I never seem to have Marco Gonzalez anywhere. He's a a ghost player across all of my teams, even though he goes out, logs a ton of innings. This year, 389 ERA, 132 whip. So he's up a little bit in whip from last year, up quite a bit, really, from the 117 from a season ago. But right in line with his career norms with those ratios, I actually think Barco Gonzalez is just like a younger version of Wade Miley now. Uh, I suppose, yeah. I mean, I do like like Miley a little better. I think he's got a little bit more strikeout upside. But yeah, you know, I, I there's a similar type of appeal for sure. Um, and yeah, and it both has to do with the quality of contact that they allow. And so with Gonzalez facing the Royals in Kansas City this week, uh, I wouldn't be starting him in, in 12-teamers. And, and actually, he's pretty widely rostered. So 12-teamers and 10-teamers might be where where you can get him, but if you can get him anywhere a little deeper, I, I feel like that's a pretty safe play, but really DVR, the reason why Gonzalez came up on my radar for this weekend was looking at the Mariners schedule, which I mentioned earlier, actually, that they, they start with the one game uh, in Anaheim three in Oakland three in Kansas city. So a really a pretty good schedule uh, pitching well, really pitching and hitting wise. And, um, the thing is that, you know, the big three in that rotation, you you can't pick them up anywhere. I was very surprised that George Kirby is not universally rostered. Hmm. So while Gonzalez is maybe a, a little bit iffy for 12 teamers and uh, it's, you know, maybe a, a bit of a stretch in terms of, of putting him on the rundown here. If you can get George Kirby in an eight or 10 or maybe even a 12 team league, he, he should be starting everywhere. He's been sensational. They've got uh, the Mariners have this great schedule this week. And uh, it's just mind blowing to me that Kirby is actually available in shallower leagues. Yeah, the Mariners are set up really well as they continue that bid for a wild card spot in the American League. I heard their their broadcast booth talking about the schedule a couple of days ago and I was watching one of their games and it, it sounded like a cake schedule. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up on the pod today. And I think a guy like Marco Gonzalez with that really low K rate. He might go six or seven in some of those turns against weaker lineups. He might be part of the answer to the, how do we get our bullpen some rest in the final weeks of the season so they go into the postseason as rested as they could possibly be, despite the fact that every game we're playing between now and then might actually really matter for, for seeding purposes or even just getting into the postseason. Let's get to a few relievers before we go. Pete Fairbanks. Available in just over 50% of CBS League's alley. He's recorded a save in each of his last three appearances. We know the Rays are rarely committing to one 
source of saves, but it looks like Fairbanks has a pretty good hold on at least a large share of those opportunities. I mean, the only thing that makes me uh, just a, a little bit nervous about um, really relying on Fairbanks down this final stretch here is that it seems like we had the exact same conversation about Jason Adam two or three weeks ago. And this is what they do, what the Rays do seem to do is that they will go to somebody for a period of time and until it's until, until they don't. So I'm, I'm a little concerned that, you know, it, it's going to go uh, back to, to Adam or Poche or somebody else. Um, but that said, if you need to pick somebody up this weekend for saves, I do think that in all likelihood, Fairbanks could be your best option. So uh, of, of uh, closers we have, haven't talked about in recent weeks or you know relievers who could close, Fairbanks would be at the top of the list. They've been pretty careful with his usage overall. He has had a couple of back-to-backs uh, in the second half of the season. No back-to-back so far in September. He's pitched in four games this month. It's September 16th, so I mean... They haven't played yet today, but still, through 15 days in September, only four appearances. That's that's the one drawback. Skills-wise, how about a 30-to-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio in 20 innings for Fairbanks? That's pure filth in the uh, the end game. Uh, one other situation, also in Florida, Dylan Floro getting some saves recently. Is this a, a committee with Tanner Scott, or is Floro slowly taking control of those save opportunities for the Marlins? With the frequency of opportunities that the Marlins have to to save a, a win, who can tell? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and as somebody who has uh, Tanner Scott rostered in a few leagues, I am watching this one closely. But I think the move for me is more to find a replacement for Scott than to go pick up Floro as you know a handcuff or just a, a flat out replacement. It is funny to me that this season, more than any season in recent years, has made me reconsider my feelings about the saves plus holds category. Like I was really opposed to it pretty much every year until now. And I'm sitting here in September and wondering if it's a change that I want to make in, in leagues where I'm able to do that, or if it's the change that I want to like put out to the league as is the rules change part of the year sort of uh, is upon us now. Those, those email threads are, are just the best, aren't they? The, the <laughs> endless back and forth about usually some small details. Sometimes it's big stuff, but um, I, I miss those emails. It, it's like, for me, it, it fills the the void in my life. When I was a lot younger, I thought maybe I'd be a lawyer someday, and I realized pretty quickly it wasn't going to be for me. But reading ridiculous emails like that, that is the sweet spot. That's like getting to be a lawyer for 10 minutes and then getting to opt back into uh, my actual life that I enjoy quite a bit instead. So all that is to say, uh, it's not a horrible week on the wire. It is not nearly as good as the last few weeks on the wire and every situation is a little bit different you never know what kinds of players might be dropped by managers who have punted a category especially so maybe the best reliever available in your league is someone who's not widely available so don't discount the possibility that there could be some unexpected players that have popped up on the wire in the last couple of weeks that is going to do it for this episode of the athletic fantasy baseball podcast you can find al on twitter at al milk you can find me at Derek Van Riper. Get a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. With that, you can read Al's waiver column. You can read all of our fantasy football stuff. Everything you need to have a happier life with sports content. All available under one roof. Have a great weekend. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday.